Um, again, we are in Exodus, uh, we're going to be in chapter 19, and uh, a little bit of 19, a little bit of 20. So we're reading the, what's the preceding the Ten Commandments um, this week, and then we'll begin with commandment number one next week. So let us give our attention to God's Word, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. They encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then skip over to chapter 20, the first two verses. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that I would accurately lay it before them. They would see your heart. They'd see your love for them. and How you want to give them good gifts. Help me. Lord, help them. Help them understand what you're saying. By your Holy Spirit, we ask and invite your spirit to lead us all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Kids, I want to start with you this morning. Have your parents ever given you a rule that you thought was silly? Have you ever done that? Don't nod too big. You might get in trouble. All right. So have they ever given you a rule? Let's, here, I'll illustrate. So your dad says to you, don't play in the street. And you say, why can I, I play in the yard? Why can I play in the street? My ball rolls better in the street than it does in the yard. You just like making rules, taking away all my fun. Or your father says to you, clean your room. And you say, no, my friends clean their room. Why do I have to clean my room? Maybe I like toys everywhere. Why am I not big enough to make my own rules? I get to decide how. Can you imagine? See, we all have done things just as silly as that, haven't we? I think many of us. We're giving up on that thing. All right. So we've all done things silly like that, but adults, do we ever struggle with the law of God and feel like, God, what's with all these rules? Like, am I not able to make my own rules? We're actually just like our children, if we're honest sometimes. God gives us rules and we say, I know better. Isn't that true? This is the way, this is true of all the law of God, but I think it's also true of the Ten Commandments. We, uh, we agree with them, some of them generally like, oh yeah, I got it, no murder, no adultery, no lying, no stealing, but what about the others? Is really God's name that big a deal? Really his Lord's Day that big a deal? Right? We don't always agree with all the commandments. So look at page 7. You see our outline. We're answering this question. How are we to view the Ten Commandments? One, it's not a means of salvation, but it shows us our need for salvation. Secondly, it's not outdated, but a guide for believers. And third, it's not a killjoy, but it's a good gift. It's a good gift. Now, I will warn you, my point one is a lot longer than the other two. So bear with me. They are not all of equal length. 
All right, well, let's, let's begin with that first one. It's not a means of salvation, but it shows us our need of salvation. We're just so prone to look at commandments as either a way to save ourselves or at least to win God's favor. Our world operates on the basis of performance. How many of you have a performance annual review? You have one of those? Yeah, a lot of you do. They're very typical. How about kids? How do you get good grades? One word, performance, right? You perform well, you get an A. You perform badly, you get an F. Right? Our world operates on this system, performance. And so when we see in God's law where he says, here's do's and don'ts, we say, I got it. This is, I just need to perform and then I'll get a promotion or a good grade or whatever. I'll get God's favor. We just have this, this danger. And so there is this danger as we begin. And so part of the goal of today is to safeguard you for the next 10 weeks, to give you a paradigm how to look at the Word of God. And so as you remember, this year we're focusing on the Bible. And so there are, there's several tools I'm going to give you today as we go through the sermon, tools that will really help you not only for the Ten Commandments, for, but the, for the whole Bible. Okay, so listen for them, and I'll, I'll warn you when we get to them. Um, just some really useful um, tools. So let's look here. Look at the first three verses again. I want to give you um, some context here, what's going on. Um, so on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt. Okay, so we're talking like two or three months since they left Egypt. On the day when they came to the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai. They encamped in the wilderness and then it says, um, they are Israel encamped before the mountain. Okay, so here they are at this mountain. But it said, since they came out from Egypt, I want to rewind and give you the context. We're not going to read the whole book of Exodus today. I'm just going to tell you about it. What happened of them coming out of Israel? How did that come about? Well, if you rewind a lot, they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. So generation after generation had been born. Grandparents, great-grandparents had all been born into slavery in Egypt. Right? They were mistreated. Things were not going well. God raised up a man named Moses. You remember the burning bush? Right there, God said, hey, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to use you. He went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, uh-uh. Right? He said, I'm not letting my, all my Israelis, my workforce go. There's a lot of, of hardworking slaves there in the, the Israelis. And he said, no, I'm not going to let them go. And so what did God do? Inflicted 10 plagues on him. We'll look at that more in a minute. And then finally, he lets them go. This was two or three months ago. So this is February. So, you know, like November, December. That wasn't that long ago, right? This is what happened just two or three months ago. God brought them out. Now they're going to be here at Sinai for 11 months. So that'd be like the rest of this year. The rest of this year, we're going to camp at the bottom of this mountain. It's a long camping trip, right? Here, they're going to get the rest of the books of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and the first 10 chapters of Deuteronomy. Okay, all that. So um, Moses is their mediator and back and forth. He's delivering messages from God to them all about the law. Okay, so this is the scene of what's happening. Okay, look at verse three. So it says, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Okay, so let's look at the content of what did God have to say to them. This is super important if you're to understand the 10 commandments. So four, he says, there's three parts to this verse. Look at verse four closely, and we're going to divide it into three pieces. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, part one, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, two, and brought you to myself, three. Okay, so when he says, I brought you, well, first he says, you, you, he says, you yourselves. That's kind of redundant. We don't talk like that. What he's saying is, 
It's like saying, you, you, you were there. You saw with your own eyes three months ago what I did, right? You didn't hear stories about this. You experienced this. And they're like, yep, that was unbelievable what you did. You yourselves saw with your very own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. What did he do to the Egyptians? Okay, we talked about the 10 plagues. Don't worry, we aren't memorizing the 10 plagues, just the 10 commandments. But I'll tell them to you. First, blood, plague of blood. He turns the Nile into blood. I don't like blood. I'm not a big fan of it. The Nile was blood. All water turned to blood. Plague of frogs, millions of frogs, gnats, millions of gnats, flies, flies on everything. Cain Bay has a lot of flies. I'm not sure why, but every, we have a lot of flies. Can you imagine millions and millions of those everywhere? I don't like like 10 of them. They drive me crazy. Plague of livestock. He's killing off all the livestock of the Egyptians. But then it hits their bodies. They have boils, the Egyptians on their bodies. And then hail, um, ice rocks falling from the sky, obliterating everything. Anything they did didn't destroy. Locusts come in and wipe out every green leaf. I mean, can you imagine being in Egypt? You're like, it's just one thing after another thing after another thing. Then it's darkness. There's no light over the land. And then finally, he kills every firstborn son in the whole land. So when he says, you yourselves saw what I did to the Egyptians, that's what they're remembering. I mean, they were watching, the Jews are watching this happening to um, the, the um, Egyptians, right? And they, they're watching God's power. We're going to even, that's going to come up a lot next week. But he breaks the back of the Egyptians. Finally, he releases them. But then when they leave, then what happens? They, get, they go to the Red Sea, right? And then Pharaoh changes his mind, sends six, 600 of his chariots plus um, chasing after him. Now they're pinned between it. And so then the final big miracle of the whole thing, he splits the Red Sea, they go through. And then now all this is like little kid stories. If you experience this, it would be unbelievable to have made it through watching these walls of water. You get to the other side, you watch all the Egyptians crushed by the water as it comes down on them. And then God says, I, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. I mean, I can't, I mean, when you have something, if you, I mean, I can't, I can't put words on what that would have been like for them to have seen. So he's bringing that to mind. This was the event, you've heard me say this before. This is the event that the whole Old Testament refers back to. As you read your Bibles, notice how many times through the Old Testament the Exodus is referred to. This was like his big calling card. I did that. I rescued you out. They saw it three months prior. Look at the next part of the verse. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings. That's a great picture. Kids, imagine a wing and you're hanging onto the side of the wings. He's carrying out the whole nation on this big bird to save them from the Egyptians. And the last part, I brought you to myself. The personal and the loving language here. I mean, you can imagine a prince rescuing a princess and bringing her into his castle. This is God loves his people and he rescued them. I don't know if um, kids, if pretty younger ones, if you've ever been scared of a big dog, and uh, you imagine your dad running and picking you up and scooping you into his arms. This is what God did. God ran in and scooped up his people into his arms to rescue them from a very scary situation. Okay, this is why this is super important. The sequence of events, all that that I just said, happened before or after the Ten Commandments? Before or after? Hey, very good. So all that happened before. Why is that so significant? Imagine if it was reverse. What if the Ten Commandments came and then God delivered them? Then they could have believed we were saved by our works, right? Here's your rules, obey this, and then I'll come rescue you. But he didn't do that. Does that make sense how significant that is? It's just like your salvation. God rescued you, 
And then he says, hey, here is my law. Here's what, how I want you to live. The sequence is of great importance. That's why we're having this sermon. That you see in this chapter, 19 and 20, that he's saying, I rescued you. God saved you. And then he gives you his law. Okay? So it's not a means of salvation. And we're going to look at a second of how, what it is good for. But it's not a means of salvation. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about this? We've talked about this two weeks ago. How were people in the Old Testament saved? Do you know how they're saved? Two weeks ago, we talked about this. It's the same way you're saved, right? So if, if here's the cross right here, they looked, uh, from your direction, they looked forward to the cross, and we look back to the cross, right? So they're saved just like you are by faith. And so this was not, they weren't given the Ten Commandments, and this didn't save them in the Old Testament. They had to trust just like you do. There's this great quote from a Bible scholar. It's long, but um, stick with me. This is not the Old Testament means of getting grace, being the Ten Commandments. There is faith involved in the Old Covenant. Um, okay, so a word listen for is covenant, okay? I'm going to teach you about what that word means. To understand your Bible, you need to understand that word. It is a paradigm through all of Scripture. Okay, we're going to talk about it some this morning. This is true in the Old Covenant, grace. Certainly, obedience is emphasized here in the law of Moses. Is because God is about, but about to begin a multi-generational lesson in sin. Where he's going to give them this law, they're going to fail. He's going to remind them right over and over. You don't understand sin until you understand the demands of holiness. There is something always prior to sin, and that is law. You can't understand sin until you understand the prior requirements. It's true kids, right? How do you know when you've disobeyed? Your parents tell you a rule, and then you don't keep it. After you hear the, the rule, then you know that you're disobeying something. There's, this isn't another means of salvation. You can see obedience is not the way of salvation in the Mosaic Covenant. So that, what Mosaic just means the covenant made with Moses, okay? The Mosaic Covenant. By looking at the subsequent failings of Israel to keep the covenant of God's continued faithfulness, even before they get away from this mountain, they will have worshipped other gods. Remember Aaron? He made from idols. They haven't even gotten away from this mountain and they've already broken the Ten Commandments. Does God give up on them and say, done with you guys, you didn't keep my law? No. What you see in the history of Israel is God's faithfulness over and over again. People think, oh, the Old Testament is such a dark thing. God's so mean. No, he's not. He's so patient. You have thousands of years and you still have Israel. If you look how they behave, that is patience. The fact that he didn't wipe them off the earth like thousands of times. You see God's mercy. You see in the Old Covenant, God is very kind. God is very kind. This was not the Mosaic Covenant. The law of Moses was not a way of salvation apart from grace. So in summary, the Ten Commandments were never meant as a means of salvation, not in the days of Moses and not today. So what do we do with the law of Moses and specifically the Ten Commandments? Romans 7.7 7 is very helpful here. It says this, Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, this is Paul speaking, I would have not known sin. For I have not known what it was to covet if the law had, had not said, you shall not covet. Now pretty soon you're going to immediately know what commandment that is. Covet is the 10th commandment. Okay, so Paul's repeating the 10th commandment and saying, once I had the law, then I knew, oh, and I don't know if you've experienced this, you learn something new and you're like, you start seeing it. We preach on Sunday and then you're on Tuesday and you're like, I'm, I'm breaking exactly what we talked about on Sunday, right? And so I, that's what the law, that's part of the function of the law. Through it, we learn that we need a Savior. All right, let's talk about speed limits for a second. I just want to illustrate this. So first, they came up with just a sign, right? It's just a sign on the side of the road that says the speed limit. 
and they made this special mechanism in your car that tells you how fast you're going. All right, you put those two together and you are set, right? All you need. That sign and the little thing in your car that tells you how fast you're going. Well, that didn't work so well. People still speed. So then they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put on the sign your speed. Have you seen those? Right, so it says speed limit, whatever, 45, and it says your speed, 65. And it's got like blinking lights, right, or whatever, right? Have you seen that? They said, this will do it. It's like a blue and red light, so it's like the police, like, come on, wake up. You're going too fast. Okay, that's got to solve the problem. No one's going to speed if we just give them. No, they, okay, I rented a car recently, and the car actually does it for you. So it says, here's your speed, here's the speed limit, and if you go one mile and a mile over, it starts beeping at you. Okay, what do you see here? You see that they're trying, they keep giving you law, but there's a, the real problem isn't there, is it? The problem's not information, it's our hearts. The problem with speeding isn't because we lack information, it's because people don't want to obey the laws, right? And so, but once we have the law, whether it's a sign or a blinking sign or it's beeping at you in the car, we're learning, here's the standard, and we measure ourselves by it. The same with the law of God. Look at verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And so he says, obey my command. But the trouble is, I can't. And neither can you. In and of ourselves. Now, maybe we can obey him on the surface. I've never murdered anyone. I'll publicly acknowledge that. I've never committed adultery. But see, the problem is, Jesus had to come along in the great, um, what's it called? The Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and uh, you remember what he said? There goes our surface obedience. He says, well, let's read it. Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Jesus obviously believed in the Ten Commandments. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, kids, if you have a brother and you can, you can put in your sister, will be liable to judgment. Kids, what this means is, if you get angry with your sibling, you have murdered in your heart. That's what Jesus said. He said, you are guilty of murder. The sixth commandment, if you're angry, it's true of adults too. Anyone who's married has broken this at some point, right? Because we're married to a sinner, and they're married to a sinner. And so we get angry, and we've committed murder. Then he says, if that's not enough, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Uh Uh-oh, now we're really getting in trouble. Now I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Every long look, not to mention stuff that happens on the internet, is adultery. You've committed adultery. God raised the standard of the Ten Commandments, not just to what you actually do, but to what we think. Whew. Now we really can't keep them. So as we go through the Ten Commandments, what we're going to do is look just like what Jesus did at the implications of them. What, what is implied of things that it says not to do something? What is it, what's required to do in order to keep that commandment? For every negative, there's also a positive, right? And that's what we're going to do is unpack these. And I guarantee that as we go through these, you'll realize I'm not getting to heaven by my good works. The implications of these things are way too wide-stretching. I can't keep one of them. You remember I asked about how will this keep us from being judgmental and legalistic? One of the ways is, as you understand how wide the law is and how short my obedience has been, you will have an accurate view of yourself and it'll help protect you from judging everyone else. You're like, well, I don't keep the commandments and so then it helps me not judge others. Does that make sense? So just to say it again, the 10 commandments are not 
a means of salvation, but it shows us our need for salvation. As we understand the implications of this, we see we need a Savior. The crazy thing is, Jesus obeyed every one of those commandments, all the implications, perfectly. Isn't that amazing? I mean, as we go through this, everything I say, Jesus did to a T. As we go through each commandment, he never broke any implication in his mind, with his words, or with his actions. Your appreciation of Jesus will rise. What he did for you, on your behalf, because you failed, I fail all the time. Way more ways than we understand. We will love Jesus more when we're all done with this. We'll say, wow, you really died for a lot. You really died for a lot. Okay, but maybe you're already saved and you're saying, well, I, so of course I knew I needed it a long time ago, but how is it useful to me as a Christian? That's our second point. Now more briefly, the Ten Commandments are not outdated, but a guide for believers. So we talked about why would a 3,000-year-old law code from the Middle East be helpful? We need to understand our passage better to answer that. Look at 5 and 6 again. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Okay? So look at the first two words. Now, therefore. So he says, now, therefore, now that I have rescued you out of Egypt, if you will be. Now, don't, no, don't misunderstand it. There's kind of an if-then statement. So you could read it and say, if you obey, then you're going to be my treasured possession. But that, would, that understanding would be the exact opposite of what, we, what verse 4 said, right? Because he just rescued them out. hope that makes sense. So what does it mean? What's the if-then mean? There's a great story in the Old Testament of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute, and Hosea was a good, righteous prophet. And God told him, go marry that prostitute. Strange thing, but it was going to be a picture for Israel. Okay, so he marries the prostitute, but then after a little while, she goes back to being a prostitute. She leaves him and goes back, and then he goes and buys her back, and it's, it's this sad. I mean, can you imagine how sad? I mean, this is, this is a real man. This is a real story. This is a real man's experience, and it, it was showing Israel, this is what you're doing to me. You keep going back to your old gods that you saw in Egypt. You're, treat, you're acting like a prostitute. Wow, what a picture. And so couldn't you imagine Hosea saying to Gomer, Gomer, if you will be faithful to me, I want you to be my treasured possession. Stop running away. Stop running back. Do do you see that picture? That's what God's saying. They were already precious to him. He was not saying, if you obey, then you'll be important. He's saying, you are important, and so live like it. That's what verse 5 is saying. This is also clarified in the New Testament. Let me read to you 1 Peter 2.9 and look in those verses. We just read 5 and 6 and see if you see any of the same words. Kids, you can do this too. Okay. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now, again, this is 1 Peter. This is not the Old Testament. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Peter's doing is he's using all the same language from Exodus. Because in the New Testament, we're still in the same situation. God still loves you as a spouse and wants you to live like that and not be an unfaithful prostitute. He wants you to live like a faithful spouse, just like any man wants for his wife. This is God's heart for you. Remember I said covenant. So this is a key thing, okay? Pay attention here. Key to understand the Bible is the word covenant. It means promise. 
you sign covenants like when you buy a house, when you do big things, it's a big agreement, right? God makes an agreement with his people, but he does it with a series of people through the Old Testament, right? So one of the big ones is Abraham. So with Abraham, he promises your kids are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. Kids, you probably heard that, right? And the sand on the seashore, right? That's a promise. God's making covenant with him. He's going to make him a great nation. And through you, all the nations of earth will be blessed, okay? Then we fast forward. We get to Moses, and God is repeating this gracious covenant. He's then going to do it with David. He's going to make similar promises. But we see a progression. With Abraham, were they a nation? Nope. They were a family. Okay, so God promises to a family. When you get up to Moses, are they a nation? Yeah. With a nation, you need a law, right? He's given them a law. They're now a nation. When you get to the new covenant, if we go all the way to that, it's now transnational, right? You went from a family to one nation, and then now, not many of you look Jewish. I'm not Jewish, right? Most of us are Gentiles, right? Where now there's nations upon nations, right? And so God's promises are getting bigger as you move, but they're all still gracious, right? He rescued them out of Egypt. And you even saw that in, the, in chapter 20. The beginning of it says, he spoke the words, I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God brought you out of the house of slavery and your salvation. You're not a slave to sin anymore. And then he begins the Ten Commandments, I hope you see that you don't, you can't understand the Ten Commandments until you get this, that God loves us and he's laid this out. But it is true. Moses, he really focused on holiness, didn't he? Right? There's a lot of rules and it helped us understand holiness. Holiness is still just as important today as it was then. If you're at the vision banquet last night, we read the qualifications for elders and deacons. Did that sound like holiness? Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, all the rules, all the things that a man must be. If you weren't there, read First um, Timothy 3. There's a high standard for the leaders in a church. Does holiness, has it stopped mattering to God? No, it's very important to God. It still is today as it was in the days of Moses. As it was in the days of Moses. Now, we just passed Christmas, right? Does anyone, do you guys do um, wish list? We do that. You can do an Amazon wish list, right? isn't it nice husbands when your wife just tells you what she wants? It's great. You know, anything on this list, she's going to love. I love, actually, I probably should be talking to the wives. Men are probably harder to buy for, amen? (laughs) So, isn't it nice when he makes a wish list, I guess I should say, and then it makes it a lot easier, right? It's a, a, a person saying, here is what I want. God has given you a wish list with 10 items on it. He says, these 10 things delight me. Isn't it interesting? He's made it easy. He's taken all the guesswork out of it. He says, here is what I want you to live like. This delights me. But not only does it delight him, it actually makes us happiest. Makes us happiest as well. Yeah, so this wasn't just an Old Testament idea of living holy lives. Holiness is not outdated. It is just as important now. The New Testament often speaks of this. There's not time to look at all the passages. You might remember when we're going through Mark. You remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He quotes half the Ten Commandments. Jesus obviously believes the Ten Commandments are still important, right? And then the man says, oh, I kept all those since I was a youth. He obviously was not at the Sermon on the Mount, was he? He doesn't understand the implications of them. 
And then he says, Jesus says to him, well, you need to go sell all you have because he was actually breaking the first commandment, which was have no other gods. His God was his money, right? And so God was using the Ten Commandments to show him his need for salvation. He wanted to use it as a way to salvation. But the reason I remind you of that is that it's all through the New Testament. Paul uses it. At least two places, Romans 13, 1 Timothy 1, he quotes many of the Ten Commandments. Because some people will tell you that's Old Testament. That was all, that's old. We're in the New Covenant. We don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. Bogus. Just read the New Testament. Over and over you see them listing the Ten Commandments. They are still applicable today. Okay, here's your next um, super useful tool. It's called the three uses of the law. Are you ready? Three uses of the law. The first one is, we'll call it a mirror. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Very good. I heard someone say yourself, right? And if, if it's not a good day, it's not looking pretty, right? And so you see, when you look at the law of God, you see yourself in all of your ugliness, right? We see, actually see our heart, what a mirror can't do. Okay, so the law of God is used as a mirror to show us our need for a Savior. So first use of the law, mirror. Second use, we'll call it the civil use. Now, the, the order of these sometimes vary, um, but they're, it, they're, they're always the same three, okay? The second is civil. If you work in government, the Bible is very useful to you. You should understand the law of God, and it will frame how you should make laws to curb evil. Every country should have a law against murder. Every country, admit most do, against adultery and lying and stealing, right? So it's called the civil use. Second use of the law, civil use. We won't, unless you're in government, you're going to use that as much. You're going to use one and three a lot. The third one we'll call a map. A map. It shows, it's a guide for believers. The first was a mirror, and the third is a map. So you look at it, and you see how much you need a Savior. If you aren't saved, hopefully it'll lead you to Christ. You'll say, oh, wow, I'm never going to get to heaven at this rate. I can't obey these commands. So you, you see yourself accurately. Then the third is a map. There ain't kids. Maybe you've seen a treasure map. It helps you know how to get to where the treasure is. This is a map to know how to honor God. So it's useful. The three uses of the law. Many people, you'll hear people talk about this. Preachers will say, oh, you're, you're saved. Just you know, drink deep of your justification. You don't need the law anymore. Which one of the three uses are they missing? The third, right? It's a, it's a map. It's still useful. You need the Ten Commandments as a believer to show you how to live. So it's a map. Okay, so maybe I've convinced you that it's a guide. But lastly, third and briefly, is that you might still think it kills all your joy. It's not a killjoy, but it's a good gift. And I've asked you before, if you conformed your life more to the Ten Commandments, would it be better or worse? Some of you believe it'd be worse, but it wouldn't be. You're, the world, Satan, and your flesh all agree that God wants to ruin your life. And that's why he gave you the commandments. It was a lie back in the garden. But it's not. I mean, if any of you build a fence in your backyard, do you hate your children? Is that why you built a fence? No. You don't want them to run out there and fall in the lake, right? Or someone to run in your yard and fall in your pool, right? You build a fence. God built a fence because he loves you. He built a fence because he loves you. He's not, he doesn't want to ruin your life. You know, our very church's vision statement says this, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What does the rest say? But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it abundantly. If you want to have an abundant life, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? It is by conforming your life to the word of God. God has given us his law, not to kill your joy, but he actually wants you to be joyful. Kids, you face this every day. 
You have to decide. Do your parents love you? Are they making rules to ruin your life or to make it better? You have to decide that in your heart. And let me encourage you, if you can trust your parents now as kids, that your parents actually love you, even if you think the rule is silly and makes no sense, say, I trust mom and dad. I'm going to obey this and trust they really are doing this for my good. They built this fence to keep me from hurting myself out there. This, what you're setting up right now is this is how you will interact with God as an adult. How you interact with your parents now is how you interact. Many adults, you missed that lesson. Some of us have, right? That we still interact with God that way. God, what are you doing? You have no idea how to run my life. Isn't that crazy? Now, some of you, how do you get around? Does anyone use Google Maps? I'm a Google Maps guy. Some folks like Apple Maps and there's ways. Some of you still have a Garmin, right? Have you realized how bossy those things are? They're constantly telling you what to do. Turn here, go there, stop there, right? Really bossy. Here is the crazy thing. You have an easier time. Here, like I got this thing here. You have an easier time listening to this thing rather than the living God. Have you thought about that? You will obey this thing, whatever it says you'll do. Because you believe that it will get you from point A to point B successfully. And yet, we do not believe the living God who created the entire universe and sustains it all and has written all of history. And we will listen to a little device and obey it carefully. It's interesting, isn't it? This is the thing we face. When you were born, you kids, you inherited what your parents have, which is a ton of pride. We think so highly of ourselves. I, as I get older, I see more and more of this. I'm a very prideful person, you are too. And you'll discover it the more you learn about God. And it's really hard to submit. I don't know why it's easy to submit to a phone, but somehow we have a hard time submitting to God. And we think we know better. He tells us and we say, no, I hear what you're saying, but in this situation, I've got, it, I've got a better plan. This is the way we are. God is not trying to kill your joy. He wants to give you an abundant life. I love Psalm 139. At the end of it, it says, it's my favorite chapter. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He says, God, I want you to know me. Listen to this. And see if there's any grievous way in me. See if there's any sin. Lead me in the way everlasting. God wants to lead you in the way everlasting. He wants to lead you on a path to have an abundant life but you have to obey him. You have to obey him. And it does. It just takes a ton of humility. So as we embark on this, I encourage you. You will need lots of humility. You already think you have a good grid. And the reality is there's still parts that I don't know yet and you don't know yet. God, this is the Christian life. No matter how long you've been in the Christian life, God has more to show you. And so it will take much humility. We think, I got this. But the reality is we don't got this. You need God's help. Don't be like that son who says, I, I don't need your rules, Dad. I can play in the street if I want to. I don't need to clean my room. What do you know? Do not relate to God that way. God has given us a very good gift in the Ten Commandments. May we humble ourselves and allow God to show us through his love that he is teaching us a grid by which we must form our lives around. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, soften our hearts. I pray that your spirit is moving in their hearts, even this moment, that they would come under the joyful conviction of just our pride and our unwillingness to listen to you, that we somehow think we know better. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them 
knowing that they would understand that what you did for them, that they can't save themselves by your law. Lord, I pray that they would look to your law as a guide, both as a mirror and a guide that leads them to their knees before the cross and then a guide to how to live and know and trust you more. Help us all trust you more as we begin this journey through the Ten Commandments. We need your help, God. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.